Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Wake up, everybody. Play that music, Cruz. Get them up. Get them up, Cruz. Play that music. What it is? <laughs> That's Ed Oliver, Bill's defensive tackle. I've heard of people being awakened with a rooster crowing, a bugle blowing. This is new to me that you take your horse out for a run through the neighborhood as the way to wake people up. And I hope that he's in a jurisdiction where you're allowed to leave your house because I can't think of an essential reason why Ed Oliver would be out riding his horse uh, to wake people up if he's in a stay-at-home jurisdiction. Peter, good morning. It's another edition of PFT Live, NBCSN, Friday morning. And we continue to work through our new reality one day at a time, one hour at a time. And we're here to provide you some sense of normalcy to the extent we can uh, every weekday morning. Peter, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Everything is going okay. Glad to see you are up and well. As you and I both know, people who work out of our houses mostly for a living, uh, this is probably an easier life reset for us than it is for 88% of America. So we're, we're fortunate in that regard. See, and that's part of it too. When you stay at home, when you comply with the requirements, you don't get the perspective of seeing what's really going on out in the world. You're you're isolated in your own little piece of the universe. I haven't left our house for 13 days. I don't know what's going on in the community. Now, my wife will go out as needed to get groceries and meals and she runs food over to her parents, but you know, I, I haven't seen I haven't witnessed. I don't see people walking around with masks and gloves on everywhere like they are. So it's not as jarring if you truly are staying at home. But we see a lot of the coverage on TV. A lot of it is not pleasant. And we're here to provide you with a distraction, a diversion, some sense of normalcy, something to get away from that constant drip or or uh, or flood, as the case may be, of negativity. Um, as it relates to the National Football League, you know, they, they, they tried earlier this week, Peter, to create a sense of 
not-so-quiet optimism. It was almost a nonchalant, yeah, we plan to proceed with the full season, full stadiums, on time. And it caused a lot of people to just say, what, do you, are you re- do you, really? Are you really paying attention to what's going on out there at a time when everybody <laughs> seems to be taking this seriously and understand that the coming months, really until there's a vaccine for this coronavirus, Everything is in flux. Everything is in disarray. Nothing is certain. How can you act like you can be be so confident that you're going to go forward? Well, yesterday, Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, pushed back a little bit gently, but injected a better sense of what the NFL is really dealing with here. And he acknowledged in comments to Judy Batista of NFL.com that as long as we're in a place where a single individual tests positive for the virus, that you have to quarantine every single person who was in contact with them in any shape, form, or fashion, then I don't think you can begin to think about reopening a team sport because we're going to have positive cases for a very long time. And he's absolutely right. Putting people in stands, putting football players in a locker room, pressing them together when constantly you have to be vigilant about, oh, there's a positive, he's gone, and he's gone, and he's gone, and let's test him, and let's quarantine him. How are you going to have 53 players ready to go? How are you going to have 11 players ready to go for a football game? How are you going to have a coaching staff ready to go? These are practical realities that the NFL should be concerned about and is concerned about. And even though it creates a sense of pessimism about whether or not the season is going to go forward, There is something that is heartening about it because it tells me the NFL isn't just like hiding under the bed and hoping it'll all go away without any real plan. Because up until I saw Dr. Sill's comments, I thought maybe the NFL is hiding under a bed and acting like nothing's going on and hoping it'll all go away. Well, Mike, like what I explained in the first uh, hour of the show, that I believe that one of the reasons the schedule is released is being pushed back is I'd be very surprised if that group of people, very smart group of people led by Howard Katz who make the schedule, I believe that they will be working on both a 12 and 14 game schedule over the next five weeks. Why wouldn't they? They've got all this time on their hands now. And I think Roger Goodell and Andrew Cuomo right now have something in common other than, other than the fact that they're very powerful men who live in the state of New York. And that is they both have some form of, a, of, a, of, a, of an attitude in their respective offices that hope is not a strategy. So while you may hope that you're going to play a 16-game season and that it'll start on September 10th in Kansas City on a Thursday night with 65,000 screaming red-clad fans, you also have to understand that that might not be possible. So let's look at every other alternative. And even though they said earlier in the week, hey, we're proceeding as though, uh, you know, we plan to play this full season. I'm sure that's how they are proceeding. But I'm also sure that they're looking at other alternatives as well. They need to be looking at every alternative, Peter. I've said all week long, they need to pull out a calendar and they need to say, okay, if if things are back to some sort of normal on June 1, what does that mean for us? June 2, what does that mean for us? What's our plan? June 3, what's our plan? All the way through until Labor Day weekend. If and when that day is the day that you can open facilities, you can have practice, you can begin to make serious plans to get guys ready to play football, how does it impact 
the scheduling, the planning, and the preparation. And one very real point that Dr. Sills mentioned and also has been amplified by some teams that are concerned about guys who aren't working out the way they otherwise would be, how much time do you need to get guys ready? How much of a training camp are you going to need when it's like the old days where the guy comes home from football season and throws his cleats in the mudroom and leaves him there until July and falls out of shape? That's what's going to happen this year. No matter how much guys are trying to work out at home, there's not going to be any replacement for the offseason program, especially the OTAs, which are essentially football practice, mandatory minicamps, football practice. You're going to be bringing all these guys back in, Peter, and you're going to have to bake into your scheduling how much time it takes to responsibly get these guys ready to play so that there aren't widespread injuries when it's time to play the games that count. Well, Mike, I think you just hit on something that I think is going to be very important starting on Monday. So for fans who don't know the off-season calendar, Monday has been a day that guys like Joe Judge and, and, and Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy, you know, the, the three new coaches in the NFC East, it's, it's a day that they have been aiming for for three months because that is the first day they're going to be able to get their hands on the players. And on Monday, for all new coaches in the NFL, you're going to be able to have your players in your facility for the first time. Only, obviously, that is not going to happen now. So the league, uh, I expect today, is going to have to uh, issue some rules to all of the new coaches in the league with what you are allowed to do. And I expect what they're going to do is they're going to tell these coaches for the time being and perhaps for all of your off-season program, you're going to have to be teaching and meeting virtually by video conference. So I would expect we're going to be hearing that today, tonight, sometime, because Mike McCarthy's got to know the rules of what he's allowed to do Monday in Dallas. Yeah, absolutely right. And look, there is a way to simulate not replicate what it's like to be in a meeting room Chris Sims and I talked about this earlier in the week because he's been in those meeting rooms the give and take the messages you get the demeanor everything about it it's so different than sitting at home watching it come through a computer but this is going to be what every team has to deal with and there will be no competitive advantage all facilities are shut down nobody's going to have an off-season program to start with and Peter I don't think there's going to be an off-season program at all I mean maybe there's a tiny shred of hope that the middle of June, maybe they could have a mandatory minicamp. I, I think that that's unrealistic at this point. I think they have to assume that they're not getting together again until training camp opens, whenever that may be. If they're even going to get together then, Mike, I think you're absolutely right. Because as this wave of this disease sweeps across the country, you know, I was listening to the mayor of uh, Los Angeles, Mayor Garcetti, talk either yesterday or the day before saying, well, we're probably two weeks behind New York. So if Los Angeles is two weeks behind New York and New York believes that the worst of it is going to run all the way through April, uh, you know, clearly for some of the outposts in this country that the disease is going to progress toward, I, I, I just think there's a very good chance that this is going to be existing in its current kind of runaway state uh, for at least a couple of months 
uh, in the vast majority, in certain parts anyway, of the country. So I, I think it'd be reckless to think that that you could do anything in the off-season program. And I think it would be very optimistic to think that you'll see training camps open on or around July 27th. One quick item of good news we mentioned last hour. We talked about it yesterday. We've got a couple of stories at profootballtalk.com. The efforts of the New England Patriots to send one of their team planes to China to retrieve 1.2 million N95 masks. 300,000 of those masks have been sent by Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, to New York. Uh, A very inspiring gesture. Kraft was on CNN last night along with Cuomo, and Kraft made it very simple. And this was a very inspiring message that we all need to take to heart. People are looking for good things right now. This is the greatest country in the world. It's time for us to rally together and solve these kinds of issues. And that's exactly what Kraft did. Look, he's got the means to do it. He's got the plane at his disposal. He's got the money to get it done. But he put it into action. It was more than just signing a check. It was finding a way to overcome a logistical minefield to get that plane to China. It was allowed to be on the ground for three hours. They got the 1.2 million masks loaded in two hours and 57 minutes before the plane had to leave. So it's a great story and it's a great inspiration, I think, Peter, that we all should look to and then take a step back and say, within our own environment, What can we do? You said last hour that you've at at your building, you've made it clear to the people uh, in management that you're there to help any of your elderly neighbors who can't get things for themselves. We have to be thinking about things that we can do within wherever we are to, to just help someone, because by helping someone at this time in a roundabout way, you're helping everyone. You know, what's the least thing that you can do? I thought Michael Bidwell did a great thing. Uh, this past week, Mike, you know, in some parts of this country, blood donations are down 80 percent and people are going to have surgery and people are going to need blood. And he said, "Okay, we're going to put on a blood drive. The Cardinals are going to put on a blood drive right inside State Farm Stadium. And on Tuesday, they got 500 pints of blood. Uh, to be used in and around the state of Arizona. It went so well that they're going to have two more of these drives, and they're urging everybody who says, there's nothing I can do. Well, you can at least go in and give blood. And that's one of the things that I think has been so good to see that all the little things that are being done, and that's not a little thing. 500 pints of blood is huge. But the little things, meaning the people who go and give the blood, It's their little tiny bit of heroism. Yeah, it's not going to be one big gigantic thing that solves this for everyone. It's going to be an accumulation of little thing, little thing, little thing spread out over every community, every state. And it's going to be that that comes together and I think gets us to a point where we see the light wherever the light may be. So it's going to require everyone, anything you can do within your own sphere of influence, do it to help someone. Because if we all do that, everyone is helped. All right. We spent a lot of time last hour talking about the draft and how the pandemic is affecting the draft. Peter, you have some thoughts on how some of the lesser prospects who haven't had the opportunity they may have had to prove themselves in advance of the draft are affected by this. What are your thoughts there? 
Well, Mike, I, I wrote in my column this week in Football Morning in America about a safety from Cal named Ashton Davis. And Ashton Davis had core surgery after the season and wasn't able to work out at the combine. And so he was looking forward to his March 20 pro day at Cal, which never happened, obviously. Then he's looking at all these individual meetings with teams in the hope that he can impress one of them, even without a physical workout to show them I belong. He has none of that. And I think for guys like Ashton Davis and the lower guys, it's exactly what Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network told me the other day, which is the later rounds of this draft, you're going to see teams trying to hit singles rather than going for triples for a very simple reason. They don't know the guys as well who are going to be the triples, you know, perhaps. So they're going to go with the safer guys who they've done a lot of film work. Their scouts might know a little bit better. And see, that's the thing. Someone's eventually going to roll the dice on these guys who slide. It's the way the Bengals used to do it before they had scouts. They'd get to round five and there would be a guy there who slid to round five who was a first-round talent, but he had a bunch of off-field issues. And they wouldn't know who else to take, so they would just take that guy. You're going to have some teams where when you get down to the lower rounds, and they, well, this guy really slid because you know he's got these unresolved issues we weren't able to properly look at. Let's just roll the dice on this guy. And some of those guys are going to work out. And there's going to be some teams that steal some potentially great players because other teams are going to take the approach you said where they're looking for singles and doubles instead of triples and home runs. All right, we've been talking about what the Patriots have done to help with the coronavirus pandemic. When we return, there's a rival general manager who says the Patriots are still the team to beat in the AFC East. Do we really believe that? We'll give you our thoughts next here on PFT Live. I've joked in the past with Bills coach Sean McDermott about whether he has a calendar on his wall like a prisoner counting the days that he gets out of jail, marking off the inevitable arrival of Tom Brady getting the hell out of New England. Well, he's gone now, and the Bills uh, have to be happy about it, but Brandon being the GM of the team, somewhat muted. Candidly, I did not expect Tom to leave. New England's still going to be very good. I think it's funny, comical that people are writing them off. The team to beat in the East is... The Patriots. Of course he's going to say that, Peter. Are they still, in your view, the team to beat? That's a great question, Mike. I'd say right now, if I were to pick a team to win that division, I'd pick the Buffalo Bills. Um, but I take what... I, I don't necessarily think what Brandon Bean is saying is at all silly. In fact, you know, I may well pick the Patriots to win that division. Um, you cannot look at the Patriots in 2020 and think that guys like Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels and, and Devin McCourty and some of the guys on that team, while they have tremendous affection, respect, uh, you know, six rings, you know, because of Tom Brady, you know, they all have great regard for Tom Brady, but they know what's being said in the outside world. Patriots are done. And if that doesn't fire you up, getting you to go to work in the morning or, or getting you to plan for your offseason and saying to the guys in the quarterback room, whoever they're going to end up being, Hoyer, Stidham, 
TBA, whatever. If you don't think that's going to fire those guys up, I mean, guys have been getting fired up for things like that since high school. And it works. And to me, I think there's going to be a great mobilization inside the Patriots this year. And I'm not saying it's going to win games. On paper right now, I think the Bills are better than they are. But, but the game is played on grass, not on paper. So we'll see. Bill Belichick is a master at getting his players to to find motivation in the perception that people are writing them off and no one believes in them. I remember after the Patriots beat the Chargers in the divisional round 2018 season, Tom Brady speaking to Tracy Wolfson of CBS says, nobody believes. It's like, Tom, everybody believes in you. What the hell are you talking about? So if you can convince yourself of that when it's false, it's even better when it's true. And it's still Bill Belichick. It's still the Patriot way. And there are so many veteran players who are kind of breaking from that Stepford Patriot mantra uh, and praising Jarrett Stidham preemptively. You've got Devin McCourty, Stephon Gilmore, Matthew Slater, guys who are saying how good Jarrett Stidham has been in practice and how much faith they have in him. Look, this bodes well for the Patriots, and it bodes very well that there are people out there saying, it's over, it's done now that Tom Brady is gone and they're putting in this guy that no one's ever heard of, this second-year quarterback that no one's ever heard of. Whoever wins with a second-year quarterback no one's ever heard of. Oh, wait, the Patriots did. (laughs) Yeah, and look, Mike, I think the one other thing to think about this division right now is just remember that in the NFL, it's fashionable to say, yeah, the Patriots are the team to beat. They're going to stay on top and all that. I mean... Just remember what we saw in the last half of last season. You know, after Halloween, the Miami Dolphins were five and four. The New England Patriots with Tom Brady were four and five. So, you know, I I know it's fashionable to, to think that the Patriots are not going down. And I don't think they are going down. But I do think at the very least, the Bills and the Dolphins are gonna have something to say about that this year. I don't think the Jets right now, I mean, who knows? Maybe they get C.D. Lamb. uh, Maybe they get a couple of real big threats. And the Walmart-type offensive line that Joe Douglas has built. And I don't say that derisively at all. I think what the Jets did with their money was smart. They didn't overpay, you know, uh, guys for long into the future. As if you're going to go get Jack Conklin, you're probably going to have to pay him more than you want to farther into the future than you want to. So I kind of look at this and I say, you know, let's see what happens. But for the first time in almost two decades, the AFC East is going to be a real competitive division. Let me ask you this, and this has nothing to do with any of the teams of the AFC East. This has to do with a team from the NFC South. You recently interviewed Matt Ryan, the full interview available at the Peter King podcast, youtube.com slash NBC sports. The Falcons last year, had a one and seven start for the first half of the season. They finished the year six and two. I haven't heard the interview yet in full. We've had pieces of it on the show. Do you get any sense that the Falcons are feeling good about themselves because of the potential for carryover from that six and two finish? Well, the one thing I will tell you is that I went in there thinking that because Matt Ryan had made such beautiful music, you know, with Austin Hooper. Uh, He really became a security blanket for him over the last couple of years that he'd really be missing him. He's obviously gone to school on Hayden Hurst 
because he really talked up Hayden Hurst quite a bit. He liked him quite a lot. And I think Hayden Hurst has been looking for an opportunity like he's going to get in Atlanta. He wasn't going to get that opportunity. He was going to be he was going to be a secondary piece. It's obvious that Mark Andrews was going to be number 1 uh in in Baltimore that that's where their offense was going. So it just makes sense right now that with Hayden Hurst and with Hayden Hurst being the type of player right now who has a lot to prove because he didn't perform like a guy who was picked seven picks ahead of Lamar Jackson. That, I think, is the thing that Matt Ryan is really interested in seeing. Here's the method to my madness, although there wasn't much method there. I mentioned the Falcons in your conversation with Matt Ryan because they're not the only team that started 1-7 and seven and finished 6-2. and two. The Jets started 1-7 and seven and finished 6-2. and two. And to me, that's the one big, bright, glaring, don't sleep on the Jets warning that I think we all need to take very seriously. That narrative locked in that the Jets stink and the Jets stink. And it doesn't help that the New York media is down on the Jets and New York fans are down on the Jets. And that sense that the Jets stink was never overcome by the fact that they went six and two down the stretch. So I think the division is maybe a little more wide open. It's not just Bills or Patriots at the top and then let the Jets and the Dolphins fight it out for the basement. I think those teams may be a little more packed together than we realize. Yeah. I like that thought, Mike. Um, My one thought about that is that, look, I don't know. If I had to do a mock draft right now, I guarantee you, I'd put in C.D. Lamb or Judy or Ruggs to the Jets because they must replace what they've lost in Robbie Anderson. And it was clear that the Jets never viewed Robbie Anderson as our, you know, as our DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones. And again, I'm not putting him in their class. I'm just saying they never viewed him as a guy who every year he's going to get 80 catches or 90 catches and 12 touchdowns. I think they viewed him as a good deep threat, but they need other receivers on this team. So now what do they need to do? They don't have a receiver on their team that would put fear into any opposing defensive coordinator. So to my way of thinking, they got to get away. They got to in their first first round pick, they got to come down with one of those guys. And and I think it needs to be a speed guy uh, to kind of take the top off of defenses because right now on this team, they don't have it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, and in honor of the ongoing football week in America production, one of the games tonight, Drew Brees breaking the John Unitas record for consecutive games with a touchdown pass. We are going to have a draft of all-time NFL records that are within reach. This one's going to be fun, and we're going to do it right after this on PFT Live. It's your old team. It's the record of one of truly the all-time greats in National Football League history in Johnny Unitas in terms of touchdown passes in, in consecutive games. Can you just reflect back on the emotions of that specific game and going into it as uh, all of this kind of built towards one incredible evening for you? There were so many people that were a part of that, and um, you, you you just you wanted everybody to to feel that moment together, and and 
Listen, we've had some pretty incredible eruptions in the Superdome, you know, in, in my career uh, for various reasons. And um, that was totally one of them as well. And tonight, football week in America, the second game of the doubleheader, Chargers versus Saints from 2012, the game during which Drew Brees broke John Unitas' all-time record for consecutive games with a touchdown pass. We will not tell you who won that game. I frankly don't remember who won that game. So, uh, 7 Eastern, it is Colts-Patriots from 2009, 9.30 Eastern. It's that Chargers-Saints game, football week in America. And in honor of the memory of Drew Brees setting that all-time record. Our draft for today, Peter King, is records that are within reach. And I actually, I put on my thinking cap. I did some research. I tried to be a little creative and hopefully I identified enough that are plausible that are within reach. So you will get the first pick if you get this trivia question right. Drew Brees holds the record for most consecutive regular season games with a touchdown pass. Who holds the record, Peter for the most consecutive playoff games with a touchdown pass. Joe Montana. Oh, no. Brett Favre. Your good friend, Brett Favre. 20 straight playoff games with a touchdown pass. Tom Brady is second with 18. And Breeze is third with 16. And that streak for him still active. Brady's is not. All right. uh, First pick for me. And, man, they, they... the ones I came up with are so obscure, there really isn't one that just jumps <laughs> off the page at me. You're right. right. I, I, I'm going to go, though, with the all-time passing yards record because right now Drew Brees has it at 77,416. Brady has 74,571. And so by next year, if Brees isn't playing and Taysom Hill is the quarterback of the Saints and Brady plays a second season with the Buccaneers, that's Brady's shot to eclipse Drew Brees and retire as the all-time passing yardage leader. You know, I like that one, Mike. I I think, though, what is he, how much is he ahead of him now? Like 3,000? Something Just like under 3,000. Um, 2,900. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, when I was looking over a few of these, I thought of that. But, I, I mean, I, I think Brees is going to throw for... I don't know, whatever, 4,700 yards. And, 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 and if he does, you know, he's going to, he's going to lengthen that lead this year. So if Brady plays next year and look, Bruce Arians believes Mike, that Tom Brady is not playing two more years. He's playing three. And so, uh, you know, so I think you're probably right. I just wonder if he only plays two more and breeze puts the record out so big and so, so uh, if he gets such a big lead after this year, will Brady be able to catch him next year? We'll see. Okay, the one I'm going to take is a little bit obscure, and that is the all-time passer rating record. As of now, uh, Russell Wilson trails Aaron Rodgers by 1.2 points. Rodgers is 102.4. Wilson's 101.2. The reason why I think Rodgers is vulnerable in this area is that not only is Russell Wilson going to play another 10 years at a very efficient, low interception level. Also, Aaron Rodgers, four of his last five seasons, his rating's been under 98. 
So he is trending a little bit in this direction. And Russell Wilson is basically flatlining. And so I think Wilson's going to end up 102, 103 for his career. And that'll be ahead of, of Aaron Rodgers on that list. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, with the passer ratings generally trending higher and higher and higher, that would seem to give Russell Wilson a better chance as well, just because all of the great quarterbacks are more efficient and generating those better numbers than they used to be. All right, next one for me. And I really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle off all the obscure ones I found at some point. This one isn't all that obscure, though. The all-time receptions record. Jerry Rice has 1,549. Yeah. And lo and behold, Larry Fitzgerald has 1,378. He's 171 behind Rice. That is, if he plays two more years, 85 one year, 86 the next to get there. He had 75 last year in Kyler Murray's first season. With DeAndre Hopkins there drawing double coverage this year, Fitz may get even more than what he saw last year. He's no longer the guy that anyone is going to be giving extra attention to. The question is, how much more gas does he have in the tank? It's felt like he's going to retire the last five years, but he just keeps going and going and going. And you wake up one day and you look at his numbers and you say, holy crap, he actually has a chance to break a record that we thought would never be broken. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I have asked Jerry, uh, asked Jerry, I've asked Larry Fitzgerald about that a lot over the years. I asked him last year, and he said the same thing. He said, look, that, re that record belongs to the GOAT. There's no chance I'm going to touch that record. Well, at the end of this year, if it's a normal NFL season, if it's not coronavirus shortened, Larry Fitzgerald is going to be 75 catches away from Jerry Rice. Now, look, and everybody says, well, how can you say that he's going to have whatever, 75 or 80 catches this year. DeAndre Hopkins is on the team, blah, 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 all this other stuff. Look, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't get hurt. Kyler Murray loves him. Larry Fitzgerald is the leader of the team. He runs perfect routes, perfect. And to me, no matter how great DeAndre Hopkins is for that team, no matter how great Kirk and the, and the young receivers are on that team, Larry Fitzgerald's going to get his catches. Now, I'm going to give you one that... I'm not even sure I believe in, okay? But I'm going to give you one that 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 is a little bit I'm reaching, okay? Because I think one of the things we're seeing in football today is we're not going to see some of the length of careers to get these incredible records. But I think there is a legitimate chance in in you know, if he plays 6 or 7 years and he plays at the level that he has, that Julio Jones can catch Jerry Rice on the all-time uh, you know, yardage list. Now, again, he'd have to probably play seven productive years. Can he do that? Will he want to do that? Uh, he certainly will be with a quarterback who's going to allow him to do that in Matt Ryan because they're going to fill the air with footballs. But right now, he's about 10,000 yards, 10,600 yards behind Jerry Rice. I'm not saying it's probable, but I'm saying when I look at modern players, okay, who have the ability to do great things by extending their careers, sign me up for Julio Jones. 
And, you know, on that point, I agree with you. I looked at that record, and I also looked at the all-time receiving touchdowns record. That's one that is not going to be touched anytime soon. There's no one active who has a snowball's chance in hell of catching Jerry Rice's 190 or somewhere between 190 and 200, whatever it is. No one is on track. No one's on pace. No one's even remotely close. That's not happening. One more from me. The all-time sacks record, not sacks made, Sacks absorbed, Peter. The all-time record for sacks taken <laughs> currently is held. By, it's a record. Absorbed. <laughs> Brett, Brett Favre yeah. has 525 for his career. Ben Roethlisberger is second all-time with 503. He's only 22 behind. Ben, if you really focus, if you really apply yourself, you can do it. <laughs> I believe in you, Ben, that you can get to 520. I believe in you, Ben. <laughs> hey, look, my last one, it's not going to be for any leader of the pack thing, but I believe that uh, that Terrell Suggs is going to break into the top five of the all-time sack list. He needs right now 11 to be able to do, or 12 rather, to be able to do that. And I think he's got the kind of body where he's going to play one or two more years not that he's playing for a number, but I do think he's got the kind of body that is in such good shape. When he went to the Chiefs last year, at the end of the year, Andy Reid and others just marveled at him, how he was an elastic man, how he looked like he was 22 years old. So I say Suggs breaks into the top five, but I'm sorry, Terrell Suggs, you are uh, 61 away from Bruce Smith. You won't be catching Bruce Smith until you play about five more years than Tom Brady. Yeah, and you know what? Von Miller told you last year that he wants to catch Bruce Smith, but he had a very non-Von Miller year last season. He's still got 94 yeah. to go to tie Bruce Smith, and Von Miller's on the wrong side of 30. All right, quick break, but before we get there, a couple of others that I, I, I they caught my eye and they were worthy of mention. Records that are within reach. All-time game-winning drives. Peyton Manning has 54. Drew Brees currently has 50. All-time pick sixes. Brett Favre, what a shock, has 31. Drew Brees has 27. Phillip Rivers has 24. Matthew Stafford has 20. That record's within reach. All-time extra points made. If Adam Vinatieri keeps going, he's got 874. He could maybe eventually catch George Blanda with 943. And last but not least, the all-time two-point conversions record. Marshall Falk has seven. And, drumroll please, Big trusts. Mark Ingram has five. He can catch Marshall Falk. We got to take a break. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. Our friend Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald recently suggested the Dolphins may be plotting a move up to the top of the draft to get Joe Burrow. We reported weeks ago that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, wants Joe Burrow, and that thought kind of subsided during the chatter in late January, early February, whether or not Joe Burrow wants to avoid playing for the Bengals. The bottom line is Stephen Ross still wants Joe Burrow, and maybe there will be an effort to trade up to get him. Peter, is this a good idea? When you consider the draft capital that presumably is going to have to be surrendered, remember it was 2012 where Washington gave up the sixth overall pick and two additional first-rounders and a second-round pick to go from six to two to get RG3. Is it worth giving up multiple first-round picks, and more to get the quarterback that you want and only move up a total of four spots from five up to number one? 
Mike, the only way that if I were the Bengals that I would consider this, even consider this, is if the Miami Dolphins said, we'll give you four ones for the first pick in the draft. And what that means is it you, you use 5, 18, and 26 this year, and whatever your one is next year, okay? So... And what that would mean, because I think we all would probably think that the Dolphins will be somewhere around 500 this year. So let's just say, I'll ask you this question in a practical manner. If you had the first pick in the draft this year and you thought you had your quarterback of the future in Joe Burrow, if you had that, would you trade it for 5, 18, 26, and 16 next year. Would you do that? Yeah, and you know what? That's the right way to look at it. You're not trading for the spot. You're trading for the player. And during the season, we had an extended debate on which players in the NFL you currently would trade two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick for because Jalen Ramsey netted that. When you think of it as an unproven commodity, that's a lot to give up, Peter. You better be damn sure he's the guy. And also, maybe in this crazy upside-down world that we're in where you can't do as much as you'd like to with the draft, with the preparation and the planning for the draft, maybe those picks aren't as valuable as they would be in other years. And maybe if you are a believer that Joe Burrow's the real thing, you're more comfortable giving up those picks because you're not going to get the same value out of those picks that you ordinarily would. Mike, there's one other point to, uh, to consider here. Okay, so Mike Tannenbaum, who obviously is the former general manager of the Miami Dolphins, walked out of that organization convinced, convinced that in one of these drafts, you know, post-Tannenbaum, that they were going to do everything that they could, that Stephen Ross, above all other things, even putting the team in a hole for a little while, above all other things, wanted to get his long-term quarterback soon, very soon. If that's the case, and I absolutely believe that to be the case, that if Stephen Ross's mantra is, we need a quarterback and we have to do whatever it takes, they've been collecting all these high picks. Minka Fitzpatrick, they're collecting picks. Laramie Tunsil, they're collecting. They're collecting all these picks to get a guy. Now, if your guy is Joe Burrow, why would any price be too high in essence? And I'll just say one other thing. What if you're the Miami Dolphins and you really like Tua Tonga-Valoa and you kind of like Justin Herbert, but you don't have deep down the feeling about those two quarterbacks that you have about Joe Burrow, then it's worth it to pay the insurance to get the guy you're absolutely sure about. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, and we'll see how it all plays out. We have to take a quick break. When we return, what you'll be talking about the rest of the day and into next week, Tom Brady's radio interview uh, that could be unlike any radio interview Tom Brady has ever done. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> Tom Brady made it clear that uh, he understands what he's getting into with Howard Stern next week, Wednesday. Warm weather Tom lets loose, says Tom Brady. Let's do this at Howard Stern. Before we talk more about that, Peter, you know, addressing the Joe Burrow trade possibility from the Bengals' perspective, 
in this kind of crazy upside down year, from their perspective, do they really want to take on all those extra picks? I mean, they're, they're used to basically being short staffed and having a hand tied behind their back when they draft. This is old hat for them, right? So I don't know. Maybe they jump on that offer if the Dolphins make it. I would not make the pick if I were Cincinnati. I would draft my quarterback because you just, unless you had a strong belief, let's say in Justin Herbert, for some reason, I can't see the Bengals picking Tua Tonga-Valoa because of the injury risk. Yeah, I agree with you there. We'll see how that all plays out. All right, Tom Brady on Howard Stern. Uh, what? What? What's what? I, I don't know what to expect because Howard Stern is the master <laughs> of getting you comfortable and getting you to say things you would never say in any other setting. And Tom Brady has been programmed like a robot for twenty years to never say anything. Something's got to give in this interview, Peter. The reason why I'm surprised he's doing it is that you know that Howard Stern is going to make some comments about Giselle Bündchen and probably a lot of comments about Giselle Bündchen that go beyond, man, your wife is very, seems like a nice person and is very nice looking. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Howard Stern has matured over time, and he explains in, in his latest book, which has a lot of great excerpts from past interviews, how he now goes about getting people comfortable and he doesn't he doesn't opt for the outlandish out of the gates it'll eventually get outlandish but it'll start a little more slowly than that that's it for friday's pft live we'll see everybody back here on monday stay safe and have a great weekend Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.